Welcome to the Fretboard Confessional, the podcast by guitar nerds for guitar nerds, where we talk about whatever it is the heck that we feel like talking about today. I'm Chris McKee, and I'm here with... I'm Cooper Greenberg. Hi, Cooper. How are you doing, doing, man? I'm doing all right, dude. I'm out of breath right now. (laughs) Because you came up the stairs. I ran, yeah. You're too young to be going out of breath coming up the stairs. I just had a burger. Oh. Yeah. Uh, You got some meat sweats going on. Yeah, I messed up. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Juicy here in town, you know, they make a good burger. Shout out to the company that's not sponsoring this podcast. They'll but, do that. But Mr. Yeah. Juicy can sponsor this podcast. It's perfectly yeah. fine. So today we're going to be talking about a few things that uh, deal with the guitar industry in what would typically be happening this time of the year, uh, the beginning of the year, which is the NAM show. Fallout from that being moved, the continuing issues in the guitar world regarding the pandemic, and what that might hold for the future. So let's first of all get into it. There's no NAM show. No NAM. But there's kind of a NAM show. <laughs> At least there's intros. Secret NAM. Everybody's doing the catch event this year, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, no NAM, which is, you know, at least we still get new releases, I guess. Yeah, that seems to be the deal. So, and I kind of wonder, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is what this might mean going forward. So, if you don't know, there's typically two NAM shows every single year. There is the NAM show in Winter NAM. That's the bigger show. It happens in Anaheim, and it is massive. If you make anything from a kazoo to a grand piano, you're there showing your wares, and people are placing orders. So a dealer like us would go. We would meet with the companies we work with or companies we want to work with, and we would look at what their stuff is and uh, and put you know orders together. Um, and then the Summer Nam show has usually happened in Nashville, and it's a smaller show, but kind of the same deal. Mm-hmm. So they tried that. I think it was last year, and nobody really went. It was pretty <laughs> empty, both vendors and just attendees. Like yeah. companies just didn't show. Um, and so this year they missed doing the winter one. I think there were a number of reasons, concerns about COVID, but also like the planning that goes into booking. <laughs> These massive hotels and convention center and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, they're consolidating it. Yeah. I mean, you've been to Nam before. Yeah. My grandfather actually fought in Nam. Um, <laughs> I planned that one. That one was minutes Nam, ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so I mean, you've you've had some good experiences there, and I assume it's a lot more intriguing to see new products being revealed in person and getting to, you know, hear people talk about them. And you know, you and I have both been in kind of online reveals and watch videos and stuff but it's still exciting for me you know because i haven't been to the show yet um so it's still nice to just kind of see what's coming soon and all that but i don't know tell tell me like what's the coolest thing you've seen product release wise at a show i'm gonna give you the good the bad and the ugly for now how's that (laughs) let's do it dude. all right so the good would be the coolest thing i've ever seen revealed at a nam show and um, it would probably actually be the last one, which was Winter Nam 2019, and it was the Martin SC 13E. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because it was a shock. Um, and the reason it was a shock is, I, hopefully, I don't get in trouble for saying this. A lot of times, we know what's going to be at the Nam show before the Nam show. Mm-hmm. So manufacturers will send kind of sneak peeks of what they're going to be unveiling. So you know, you get to check it out in person, but you kind of know it's coming. Yeah. Um, that's not always the case, but it's pretty solid. So Martin had already kind of shown us, Hey, this is some of the new stuff we're going to have at the booth for you to come check mm-hmm. out. Um, the SC 13 was a complete shock and so different 
for them. Had it been in like a Wector guitar booth, I wouldn't have batted an eye, you know. But uh, it was it was shocking. So yeah, walking in the first day of of the Nam show and seeing that was like wow. And that was, this was really cool. Uh, the bad of the Nam show is uh, you know there's a lot of really cool meetings, but then there's just a lot of meetings. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I, I love going to a place that has a nice charcuterie board, you know. And, Who and, doesn't? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, eat some shark, talk to some people. <laughs> but then you also get to these, like, networking events where I always feel out of place and, mm-hmm. like, a wallflower and just, like, get me out of here. So that's, that's the bad. Here's the ugly. The people. <laughs> there, there is a thing called Nam Bingo um, mm-hmm. that has certain things on it, like Stevie Wonder. Because he's always at the Nam show, you always see him. Uh, but it also has things like guys who are in their sixties that are still wearing like leather jackets and chain belts and sounds stuff like Tarlington. Like yes, yeah, like Tarlington. But the, no, the real ugly is this: on the main floor of the Nam show, there's an area where the booth has nothing but drums, drum companies, drum sets, hand percussion, and on the other side of the hallway are saxophones and trumpets. Oh my god. And everyone's playing everything all at the exact same time. You got the guy trying to play a tenor sax as loud as possible. The guy trying to hit the highest note on trumpet he possibly can right across the hallway from the guy that's just going beast on a drum set. Got that Neil Peart kid out there. Yeah, I, I've always slamming. looked at those booths yeah. and thought about the reps for those companies with complete compassion. Like, yeah. we need to do a fundraiser for those guys. Yeah, you know, I that's it's kind of like when you go into Guitar Center when you're like 15 years old and you and your buddies go and then, you know, everybody's playing Eruption at the same time, <laughs> but like times a million. Um, so you mentioned SCs coming out at the NAMM show, um, you know, and we've been getting the rollout from a lot of companies right now with what we're hopefully expecting to see this year. At some point. Um, and I think a lot of stuff still hasn't been announced to the public, so I'm going to try and tread lightly, but I know for sure that SC13 specials and SC10s have been announced. Yeah, and we are can talk marketed. about them. They're on the website. Yeah, so the thing is, that was a cool release, and it's like they're doing a little half step forward with the line. Maybe, you know, just a small expansion. Yeah. Um, and maybe people expected to see SC28s this year. We kind of did a video on this the other day, but, you know, I... I'd be interested to see if they did a NAM show, if people might be underwhelmed a little bit with what every dealer is kind of rolling out this year. Um, but I think there are some things yet to have been announced that I'm pretty excited about, from Martin especially, and Fender's got some really cool stuff coming out this year. It's, you know, it's going to be a bummer to not, I guess, like, maybe I shouldn't say this, but some vendors have said they're not going to participate in NAM anymore moving forward too, you know? Well, so. yeah, that that's kind of the double-edged sword about technology and the pandemic that's forced things. And I, I just kind of lament what might happen. So I think the NAM show is a great opportunity to get hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've just talked about the fact that there's no NAM show, but there's a lot of new product, but the new product that we're aware of, we're not able to try so we're ordering stuff when it is coming out new and we don't really get to see it in person until it arrives in the store in which case you've already made a commitment and hopefully it's a good product i really hope that at some point things normalize and companies like vendor for Mm -hmm. instance go back to 
attending the NAM show, which I'm, I, they probably will this summer, is, is my understanding, but having dealer events. Because mm-hmm. um, outside of the NAM show, you know, they've flown me to places along with other representatives from dealerships and said, look, here's our new stuff we're coming out with. Um, check it out. Do you want to order it? And that's great. You get to, you know, talk to the people designing the product. You yeah. get to get some insight into the development of the product. And you get to try it before you like, yeah. commit money to ordering it. You know, it's wild because, say, with the new tailors that just rolled out, that's something that we really had to try to mm-hmm. to believe in, you know, and really push it. But it's almost like people like us and other channels out there are going to be taking the load of the marketing for new stuff with less, like, big announcement type event type things. Um, but, yeah, those new tailors, I mean, those weren't for NAM, but they're sort it's of— It's the same timing. Yeah, yeah. timing. Um, because this is the schedule that companies have done for a long, long time at this yeah. point. Um, and I know some companies aren't launching right now, and they have stuff coming out when NAM takes place, which will be this summer. Yeah. Um, so we've already kind of gotten that of like, hey, there's nothing new right now. And here's the thing, though. I think that that kind of makes sense. And here's a question I have for you. With companies, whether or not there's a NAM show, in the midst of a pandemic where they're all having difficulty delivering on product, does it make sense for them to introduce an entirely new model? I think for me, no, but to keep people's attention, maybe yes. I mean, we talk about Martin. I'm really excited for some of the stuff we're seeing, but I would love to have our core models in the store right now. And I think it'd be a nice, bold, you know, statement to make like, we're not doing NAM this year. We're not releasing new product. We're dedicating all energy to filling every back order that you have, you know. But I do think people, maybe players that already have every guitar that they could want, they still need to reel in new believers and new customers and get people excited. So, I mean, it's almost like cars right now. Like everybody mm-hmm. wants the new Ford Bronco and you'll get it next the Bronco year. Bronco Raptor? Yeah. You know, it's. It's nice to have something to get excited about and all that, yeah. but it'll be really nice, say, with new tailors, we release them and people can come into the store and play them right now. You yeah. know, they've already all sold out for the most part. But I think that's a good comparison because, like, with the tailors, um, you know, tailors been doing a pretty good job at delivering on mm-hmm. orders, but there's a lot of things that they, they have, like it's pockets within their um, their lineup that they're having difficulty delivering on because of, you know, issues with wood or whatever um and so i think it was smart in the announcements that they made it was really kind of pivoting to things that they have the availability of yeah and so it makes sense but i don't to your point i I don't think it makes a lot of sense if a company is having trouble delivering on product to have something that's in the same vein you know where it's a say a tone wood that they are having trouble getting and then they introduce a product with that tone wood that just doesn't make a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, it's like we already know we're not going to see that and right. but it does make me excited for hopefully when anybody in the world gets rosewood back in stock we're going to see a lot of really cool stuff. But uh I don't know. It's just tough because from my point of view I get to really get excited for guitars and I can't tell anybody about them and then when I can tell people about them I can't even play one myself, but <laughs> it's all good. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on the new Taylors because yeah. we didn't get to talk about this last time because they weren't out yet. Now they're um, out. And we've put out some videos, and maybe when this episode comes out, it'll they will all be out of stock. But t- 
talk about working with what you got. I mean, some maple, and you got all solid maple on the 8027 flame top. Uh, that guitar was really surprising, and I fell in love with the GT611. But I don't know. Tell me what you think. You think that maple's going to be the big player for the future, you know, foreseeable future? I hope so. I'm a fan of maple, mm-hmm. period. And, um, you know, I think, you know, in, in the video we shot that we just released, I talked about this, like, love affair I have with Maple. And I really appreciated years back, I think it was 2014, when Andy Powers first redesigned their 614 CE. Um, it Suddenly you have Maple that has a much warmer response, and it just simply comes down to understanding the tone wood. Mm-hmm. And... I think when it comes to acoustic and electric guitar design, really, there's a lot of there's a lot of tradition, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes that tradition is divorced from the reality of of what is, you know, what is what when it comes to guitar design. So, like the tradition with maple and flat top acoustic guitars is it's just another tone wood, and the design's not changing. And the fact of the matter is that. Any tone wood should necessitate a variation in the design, depending upon what you're wanting to get out of it. Mm-hmm. If you're just switching stuff around from an aesthetic standpoint, then you don't care, mm-hmm. right? But if you understand like the dampening characteristics of this tone wood versus that tone wood and so forth, then you'll brace the guitar differently. Yeah, uh, It's the same thing with um, electric guitars. Why, are, why is maple used on the top of some electric guitars you know there was a design choice that wasn't even an aesthetic one that came later Mm -hmm. but it changed the tone it changed the response of the guitar um you know and so i think utilizing the wood appropriately makes the most sense of making a fantastic instrument and so if people do that if builders do that um and it's just a beautiful wood if you have flamed or quilted maple yeah um one thing i'd love to see more of is beautifully quilted maple like the curly, yeah. bubbly looking stuff. That's, I think, flats on. It's like I've only really seen that on high-end, high-end customs, like that OM28 that we had. The curly maple was incredible. Back and sides, not on the top, but, and then veneers on really cheap acoustic guitar, you right. know, Ibanez and stuff. But here's my question for you. It's more of a conceptual thinking towards the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the AD27E flame top being all maple, really one of the first of its kind for this, you know, having maple well, on the all top. all solid. Yeah, solid all solid maple, maple yeah. on the top. Yeah, I wonder if there's ever, I mean, I know of one other tailor, which was custom made mm-hmm. for Music Villa, our friend Paul up in Bozeman. Um, and my understanding on that story is they had to beg and plead with Taylor to yeah. build that custom. And it turned out to be a really cool guitar. This saw, was, yeah, this was I, like 10 years ago I or watched something. that video not too long ago where they were kind of revisiting that guitar. And it sounds amazing. Yeah. But we talked about how the all-solid maple might work, um, you know, on this specific guitar because of V-class bracing. Might help, you know, that tone would work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and here's the look into the future, do you think that, Martin will ever experiment with anything other than scalloped X bracing. As far as a bracing pattern, you know, potentially it's in their DNA to do it. They invented mm-hmm. the scalloped X bracing for a practical reason of supporting steel strings to create more volume. Mm-hmm. But they've had different bracing patterns over the years, like A bracing and and different things that they've called it, which were basically variations of X bracing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think the SC model has shown us that there is at least an element within the company that is experimenting, you know? Yeah. And I've seen some stuff there to, to show that they uh, they make a lot of effort in understanding what's going on in an acoustic guitar. So there were places when I was at the factory with Patrick, we couldn't photograph, but yeah. that they were doing acoustic testing on a variety of instruments, not just their own, to get, you know, to understand this. Taylor's done this. There's... Uh, universities who've done experiments with guitars to understand kind of what's moving where, mm-hmm. when, and what, what yeah. is that doing? And, uh, there's enough of a tradition outside of factory built guitars from individual luthiers that do all sorts of crazy bracing. Yeah. Like Steve Klein's bracing on his guitars is, is crazy. Like it's yeah. just really, really cool, unique stuff. And so, yeah, I think there's enough, I think there's a tradition of experimentation that um, I think a lot of luthiers would continue to uh, dip their toe in and, and to pursue. Um, where I think that won't happen is when you get into these environments where it's like a committee-built guitar made mm-hmm. in a factory and there's marketing and tradition built around it. The, the thing about the SC-13 that Martin's making that's probably the most shocking is the fact that they're doing it regardless of a probably very vocal traditional group that hates that Martin does anything yeah non-traditional yeah i mean i don't know I, I look at even certain things that people complain about on standard models that not even standard but modern deluxe and stuff like that mm-hmm. with true martin traditionalists are like nope you know yeah but, this is trouble with fender gibson and martin yeah when you ha- because as guitar players we wrap so much romance around it which is really bs mm-hmm. you know these guys were building guitars Back in the fifties, they were they were inventing the electric guitar at like Gibson and Fender, right? Yeah. And so these were these were living experiments being put into the hands of musicians that were fit like just basically filling a need that music and musicians had at the time. Yeah. Um, but we hold them up as like the holy grail and the end of design, which is crazy. And I, I heard Andy Powers say it this way, that, and that, to me, this cr- gives you the proper context of where we're at that the the piano the design of a piano which we sell here at the store mm-hmm. for the most part that design came into its completion hundreds of years ago yeah and have been built in factories as you know ever since but the flat top acoustic guitar is very young yeah it's in its infancy from a design standpoint but it was built in a factory from the start and so it and i know that's how he looks at it as like in his working lifetime, he wants to, for his instruments, kind of reach this penultimate design for a factory-built, high-quality flat-top acoustic guitar. And I think that can be done across the board. I mean, guitars, as we conceptualize it today, it's just a young design. Yeah, I think, so that brings me to something that, you know, we kind of touched on earlier before we started recording. Um, You know, it's a young instrument, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, Acoustic guitar, a little bit older. Arch tops, old. But electric guitar is a very young instrument. Yeah, Not even um, 100 years old. Yeah. yeah. And we think about electric guitar heroes and the people that were innovating as manufacturers were creating these instruments. And Leo Fender makes a Telecaster. And then not too long from that point, you start having these people that make it their own. And then you get... You know, Jimmy Page recording with the Telecaster. Mm-hmm. You get all these people that 
the guitar was as new to them, you know, at that point in time. It was a very new instrument. They took it on from the very beginning. And now I think we're in an age where we're maybe in a lull a little bit to where all new guitar heroes that play these now classics like a Fender Telly or a Strat or a Les Paul, um, almost I feel like guitar heroes of today, current players emulate those artists more so than innovate and become a new flavor. So I want to hear who you think is playing right now that is unique enough to be a true guitar hero amongst those ranks instead of they just do a great <coughs> Stevie Ray impression sure. or they do a great Jimi Hendrix impression. Well, you know, first of all, backing up a bit, I think that there have been these these pockets of rapid innovation and change mm-hmm. um, in the electric guitar, acoustic guitar, bass guitar world. Um, classical and jazz are a bit more traditional founded, mm-hmm. but there's been pockets even within those uh, you know, um, genres or um, disciplines, if you will. But if you think about, you know, to your point, so coming out of like the birth of rock and roll, you have these guys doing things for the first time with these instruments. And then you get into it a bit and you have your Hendrixes and your Pages and, and your Claptons that are really starting to push it these instruments really kind of beyond what they were designed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the initial, like Leo Fender was a huge kind of country swing and Hawaiian music fan. Yeah. You know, he did not design these instruments to have huge, you know, uh, gain and, and overdrive and, and distortion and stuff. And yet that's where it went. Um, same thing happened once you hit the eighties. Now you have a whole new breed of guitar players that come out. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the instruments change. You yeah. know, and you start having like the super strat, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, the Ibanez gems coming out so that Steve Vai could just, you know, just be insane. Yeah. You know, Satriani and, and Van Halen and all of these guys really pushing the limits of the instrument. And, you know, it kind of comes to this point. And then to your point, it's kind of stops for a bit. And I think we are there a little bit. And what's happening is that... Uh, I think what's happening now is that there's this amalgamation taking mm-hmm. place. In acoustic guitars, it happened. You know, there were like these pockets. Uh, people argue on the internet that Van Halen, Eddie didn't invent tapping. Some guy playing acoustic classical guitar, something did back in the 60s. Uh, and that's very cool, but it didn't really catch on. Yeah. Now you look at all of these kind of progressive modern fingerstyle players, and they probably owe a lot of it to Michael Hedges yeah. and Phil Keggy. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's so many that have come about since then. But now we have the advent of the Internet and you have Instagram and TikTok and all of these guys that you would probably never hear about that mm-hmm. are pushing the limits. I sent you a TikTok the other day mm-hmm. of what's Zep? Um Oh, our dude from Chicago. From Chicago Music Exchange. Yeah, Nathaniel Murphy. Yeah. So he's playing a double necked gibson oh my God. electric guitar slash mandolin yeah and he's doing all of this stuff with tapping and just directly on the fingerboard as well as playing it's incredible you probably never would have heard about he would have just been some guy playing in his garage 20 years ago yeah you know but with the advent of the internet he's doing this stuff and that that gets into the zeitgeist of all of us yeah i just see it like you know 
from the 50s to the 60s, you saw pretty uh, primitive rock and roll turn into psychedelia and hard rock. And, you know, it's the 80s, you know, 70s and 80s, technical abilities skyrocketed. Yeah, how fast people, can I possibly yeah. play? Yeah. Um, and then I feel like, you know, in the 90s with grunge and some stuff like that, it was less of technical ability and more of emotion and sound and, and tone creating atmosphere. a whole different atmosphere. Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, as the 2000s to today have rolled along, there's less of like an identity and it's probably just because we're living in it. And so it's harder to pin down what the sound of now will be. Um, but it's almost like there's less of a a true identity of the guitar that you can really point to. So I'm, you know, interested, wait in the future, what we can look back at and say, like, hey, this was the sound of the 2020s or something, you know? Well, I think some instrument designs are already kind of pointing to what's happening. And I agree. I think it's hard to have perspective of what's going on when you're in the middle of it. But if you think back to when those guitar traditions begin to change, uh, like in the 80s, and I said the, the new guitars came out to mm-hmm. fulfill the needs. Someone's got a loud stereo outside. Return of the Mac going on out there. You hear that? Uh, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive stereo. I love that, that song. It's a good stuff. This is the sound right here. Is that guy parked right outside of our store, too? I think too? so. So we're recording in like an upstairs room that overlooks the street which is really cool because you get to experience a bit of downtown San Antonio yeah so yeah I have a actually a, a point so I think last year with some of the new Fender releases yep. maybe this was the year before um, at this point the leads we saw the HM Strat you know there's a lot of nostalgia um, mm-hmm. uh, tied to these instruments um, 90s and 80s stuff you know and I think they marketed them towards players that were of a new generation. There's certain like younger, um, you know, a lot of alternative indie rock stuff that I saw leads start showing up in their hands that I'm sure Fender sent to them because the, you know, it's a certain aesthetic that I think a lot of people enjoy right now. Um, Well, it also could have been this, that from a marketing standpoint, nostalgia tends to hit home with people that you want to spend mm -hmm. money. And so there's also this point that, you know, I was born in 81. I'm 40, right? Mm. So people that are my age that were born in the 70s and the 80s that remember these instruments and that music yeah. now have the discretionary income. Well, hopefully, yeah. anyway, <laughs> to you know buy instruments. And I really, like, I didn't get one. I really wanted an HM Strat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's that part of it, too. But there's, there's two things going on. So there is that part of the segment that is, is rearward looking. And that's mm-hmm. your reissues, right? But to your point of like what's going on right now, the guitar that I think best defines what's probably taking place are the Acoustasonics. And prior to that, the T5. And the reason is because if you think back to, again, what was going on with like the Jacksons and the Kramers and the Ibanezes mm-hmm. and stuff in the 80s, meeting the need of the instru- the the guitar players of the time, and it's very clear to look back and see that, these instruments that are coming out now, these hybrid instruments, really speak to this, this amalgam that I was talking about, that n- less common are guitars saying, I'm an electric guitar player, yeah, or I'm an acoustic guitar player. It's, a, it's this blending. 
Yeah. You know, and the technology with looping and multi-tracking and having the ability to do this um, and have artists like Elise Trow who like will be a one woman band yeah, and, and redo session. stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can have these flexible instruments that meet your needs rather than you trying to conform to it. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to find the guitar to meet your needs. That's Remember it. from the videos? Um, <laughs> so, no, I think you're probably right. And I think part of what, it goes, what goes along with that is people's apprehension towards these instruments. Um, T5 has been around a lot longer than Acoustasonic. But, um, I, you know, and I say that because I think the T5's dialed it in a little bit better, but they have had more time to get there. Um, part of why I like it, too, is that it's clever pickup placement and micing no modeling versus the modeling and i think that if the acoustasonics move forward it'll get tweaked and tweaked and tweaked until it's probably the perfect hybrid um and you know i i don't think and i don't you know i'm not saying this is good or bad or anything i'm not sure if the acoustasonics have hit for me quite yet i think the one that's gotten closest is the jazz master mm-hmm. um and that's because when i play it you know it's harder for me to dive in like a guitar I already know, a Strat or HD 28 or whatever, right. and find the sound immediately that I want. But then I'll see these videos that Fender's putting out with people I love. Jeff Tweedy's played one, sounded incredible. Faye Webster played one, and it sounded great. I mean, they're doing kind of their reimagined videos where they have an artist playing that guitar to cover one of their own songs, and they always sound really good. But I don't know, I, I find that that's probably this best answer is like that's kind of this age and what people are going to find is these guitars that can cover a lot of bases but then we're in an event yesterday haven't been released yet not going to mention what it is but there were and you know we'll do a little callback i guess later on when we can talk about it but um there were some like 30s and 40s style acoustic instruments yeah that I think that's a whole other, they even said market research has shown that these are going to be popular, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's due to some callings and Waterloo type instruments that are very inspired by pre-war Martins and Gibsons and stuff. Yeah. So it's almost like we move further and further back on the nostalgia train as well. Well, I, th- I do, you know, I remember when Oh Brother Where Art Thou came out. Yeah. And then suddenly everyone's a bluegrass fan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that soundtrack's one of the best. It really is. One of the best. Such a good soundtrack. Um, you know, and then people are like, you know, they they could never pick out Alison Krauss in the crowd I know, <laughs> or on a stage, yeah. but suddenly they're huge fans. So, you know, I do think that there's always going to be these moments where music gets rediscovered mm-hmm. and the instruments that go along with that music get rediscovered. Um, you know, we've, we saw it in the 70s when, uh, you know, it was disco era. And Martin shrank to like a quarter of its size because no one was buying acoustic guitars anymore right after the big folk craze. But they came roaring back again. and With an and, EM-18 <laughs> in 1981. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, acoustic instruments, I think in the 90s, there's probably a lot of reasons for it. But I think a lo- there was a lot of acoustic pop. There was huge uh, like worship music movements with a lot of like stage-ready acoustic guitars. And... All we've seen is acoustic guitars grow yeah. for the last 15, 20 years. And so I think what happens, and this this goes to your question about guitar heroes, is we are inspired by musicians who inspire us, the music that they make. And whatever it is that they're on stage making that with 
tends to be what we want mm-hmm. because as musicians we tend to we tend to emulate. Now we'll we'll take that the best of us and we will be creative with it. And we'll push the the envelope. But so many people just want that comfort of playing what they're enjoying in the moment. Yeah. And this is why signature models are important and successful because it's saying this person whose music you enjoy plays this. Yeah. You want to sound like them. Now this is the biggest lie in the industry. <laughs> you want to sound like them buy this guitar, yeah. buy this amp, buy this pedal, you won't sound like them. The, this, the, that's the biggest lie. The second biggest lie is you'll, you will play better once you buy more expensive stuff. That's the second biggest lie that I'm yeah. victim to all the time. But, um, but nevertheless, but the builder's edition have an armrest. All right. It makes <laughs> it more comfortable. Make you so more you'll com- play better. That's right. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these artists that we have creating compelling stuff right now that we're enjoying listening to, whether it's very traditional or it is genre bending, yeah, um, is going to create a hunger for the stuff they're using to create that music. I can't even tell you how much I expected you to say at the end of the day. <laughs> the best guitar. I've heard it one so many times. I, mean, I wonder how many times I've sat next to you as you've said that over the last five years. Well, I'll tell you a funny story I heard Andy Powers talking about on a podcast. I think it was the um, the Fretboard Journal, which is a fantastic podcast. And um, he was talking about before he was with Taylor, he was making an instrument for a musician. I don't recall if he said who it was. But it was a very kind of weird guitar. Mm-hmm. And as he's building this one-off instrument for this guy, he's having trouble wrapping his head around everything that this guy has requested to be in this guitar yeah it was weird pickups i think there was some midi stuff going on like it was it was like adrian leg level (laughs) odd and if you don't know who i'm talking about check out adrian's music because he's a phenomenal and very odd guitar player who i love and um and then he's after the instrument was completed he saw him perform with it and suddenly everything made sense and this is one of the things i like about people customizing their instruments is if you make the guitar work for you, then you get the most out of the instrument. And so mm-hmm. it really does, like at the end of the day, really it is the guitar that you're making music with. That's that's the whole goal. Whether that guitar is kind of an ugly acoustasonic, because I, I don't, like, I think they're cool instruments, but I don't think they look great. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of a little odd instrument for me, but I don't care at the end of the day. I think, you know, if they're, if they're yeah. doing what I needed to do with a looping pedal and I can lay down multiple tracks and get yeah. this cool, you know, level layers of stuff, that's all I care about. Um, but musicians like needing these things and doing it on their own is going to push manufacturers to make yeah. stranger and stranger stuff in the context of today. One of the coolest things I ever saw, I'm sure you've watched it too, It Might Get Loud with yeah. Jimmy Page and Jack White and uh, The Edge. The Edge. Um, yeah. What's his real name? I don't remember. Michael Edgeworth? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. So the Edge is in there, but it went into a lot of Jack White's kind of home customized things. Experimental stuff, yeah. And when he had that, I think it was a Gretsch hollow body, that he attached the retractable harmonica mic into the bottom so he could walk across the stage away from his microphone, be playing a solo, and then grab that mic, and it would go through the pedal board and stuff. It was one of the coolest things because he said it sounded crazy and then they showed a clip of him using it and that kind of stuff is, 
I think what really blows my mind when people have the, you know, imagination to create that. Um, Here's the best example of that. Les Paul. You know, mm -hmm. the man's name is plastered over all of these guitars, but he arguably came up with one of the earliest concepts of a solid body electric guitar. The log. The log, dude. Which was literally like two wings of a hollow body and like a four by four with pickups. And and the need was identified. I need a guitar that's electrified, that can be amplified, that is not going to howl with yeah, feedback. With and, feedback. Yeah. So he, he creates this thing. It was very rough, right? And Gibson's like not interested. <laughs> but later on, that concept that this musician... And, you know, let, granted, this guy is a genius. He's come up with multi-tracking and all sorts of things that are used in studios to this day. Hmm. You know, he identified his need, and he was well ahead of the market. Yeah. And so I think, honestly, some of the very best guitarists that uh, are in the world, they whether they've realized it or not, they've already identified their need, mm-hmm. and um, the market will catch up with them. Yeah. And I don't know who those are, but, you know, it's funny. Guitar heroes in the past have come from, like, record sales right and all of that's changed Mm -hmm. and i i do think that there's going to always be this level of popularity um with awareness but i i don't think they're going to start there now i think they're going to start on with someone like uh uh what's his name matthias and matthias asado matthias asado you know instagram tiktok this is where the awareness starts now and it can become something else you know but maybe it starts with two guys doing a YouTube channel about guitars, you know, and then the awareness goes from there. Oh yeah. And then you so. get Nick on the channel. He's playing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. I, uh, it's, it's weird to say because I'm still so hesitant to be like, Oh, one of my favorite guitarists. I found him on Instagram. Yeah. But Mateus and Nathaniel from Chicago music exchange, everything I see of them, I'm blown away. Yeah. And it's, so much more inspiring to me to watch that and want to practice and learn exactly what they're doing. And I don't know. Sometimes watching Nathaniel, I just want to give up. Yeah, I get pretty <laughs> upset. But, it, you know, trying to pick out little licks and stuff, it's like what I think both of us would do when listening, when, you know, we're growing up to Stevie Ray Vaughan and all that, you know. But um, it's a lot more inspiring to me than what I hear is like. So here's a good example, and it's an easy one to jump on the – the hate train um and i probably it's rude of me to say this because it's been beaten down so much but um i saw gibson put out a video about the 61 sg with the guitars from greta van fleet oh yeah yeah and it's like fine you know people like their music they're talented guys it's all good but it's so they're wearing the costumes of the 61 sg you know and it's a lot that's very, very much inspired by the original sounds that were, that made that instrument famous, you know, yeah. versus, I mean, I've seen Nathaniel play some really cool stuff on a 614 Builders Edition. And I saw him do, I think it was, it was some kind of Taylor 12. It might've been a 652 or something, but he did it like a Smith's cover. And that's like the usage of an instrument that's relatively new in a style that's kind of new, you know, it's taking cues from previous players, but it's like a very honest representation of like true talent, 
really cool newer instruments and using them in a different kind of way versus the all out nostalgia play to go like, let's play some Led Zepp type stuff with sure. this SG. So I think we're going to have to, the curmudgeons are going to have to come around to the fact that there's a lot of innovation being done. And it's just the channel to, to push it through is Instagram and social media and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. You know, and that, and it can go to other places. I think what we're seeing is people get discovered in these venues, you know, another McKee, more famous, more talented guitar player named Andy McKee. He got his start. Distantly related. Distant related. Yeah. Obviously talent is not uh, genetic because he has gobs of it. Um, and I'm mediocre, but he got famous on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, and just, took off from there and you know is he as big as like a taylor swift no but has he had a pretty cool career that otherwise wouldn't have happened yeah uh, if not for youtube yeah and you know those genres of music you know the the instrumental type stuff is never going to be as big as pop music is mm-hmm. yeah you know, that's why you call it pop music it's what's most popular yeah, but it's popping but um it i think it tends to create very influential musicians. It's like mm-hmm. a musician's musician. Yeah, for you sure. You know, that then will find its way into pop music yeah. Yeah, culture. So, I mean, I yeah, I remember the first time I was like watching Andy McKee stuff, him playing Drifting, and it was like a mind-blowing experience. Uh, me too, because I'm yeah. like, hey, uh, Am I looking like, at a mirror what the heck? <laughs> um, yeah, and I think at the same time, I was probably watching this video because it was, you know, sent to me by a family member or something. And I think in the related videos, since I was watching that style was the first time I discovered Tommy Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't think he's somebody that a lot of normies are like saying, oh, my God, this is one of the the greats. But the people who know, I found out about him on YouTube when I was probably 10 years old or something, you know, but he's a world class musician that is not on mix 96.1, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. There's just i I'd love to maybe find some people, especially in our local area in San Antonio. I mean, there's so many talented people out there and get them out there. You know what I'm saying? The great thing about the democratization of content with the internet is that, um, if you're willing to create the content, you're, there's the potential that you'll be discovered. And you can have a fan base and you can have people follow you and there's great opportunities. And so it's it's awesome if you can have a platform like this, but any platform really to mm-hmm. push people forward. And, you know, I think to wrap up the conversation, it, this is the thing that I think about. There's going to be a whole new um, class of guitar hero. Mm-hmm. And I think that what has in the past been the musician's musician through this democratization of content can become more well known. Mm-hmm. And uh, there it's still going to forever be unlikely that they're going to fill a stadium with music, but filling stadiums with people will also probably be less likely. Yeah. You know, the the way we consume and the way we create content is changing. And what that's going to mean is that these this next generation of guitar heroes, um, I don't think necessarily even have to be younger. You know, there's this whole thing going on with our society where people later in life are discovering things, discovering people are discovering them. They're, you know, mm-hmm. reaching success. Like what's the the old adage? The uh, the overnight success took 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I think there's that we're going to have a lot of stuff to enjoy. 
and as it pertains to the industry that we deal with. Um, we're going to see it more and more reflected in the instruments that manufacturers build. Yeah. You know, and not just signature models, because I think when it's a, just a BS signature model, which means it's like they changed the color and slapped a name on it. That's <laughs> I, I think there's going to be dramatic changes in the way an instrument is designed to meet the needs of these people that are being creatively uh, insane with what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's cool, too. I want to throw it in there because, you know, we're I know we're wrapping up, but we talked about getting people out there and this is a small little tiny thing mm-hmm. however um i just made a little playlist on spotify oh, yeah. that i am asking our customers and our viewers and now our listeners uh to send us their music because ideally you know we'll get some people interested and get to show off kind of this diverse wide range of people that we get to interact with that are all very talented but if you're listening to this if you're one of the six people that are still hanging on after this one <laughs> Um, feel free send us your music because I'd love to add it to the playlist. Because the idea is two playlists. So the first playlist is our playlist. Yeah, we got your friends, which I'm saying like you, like the listener, like we are your friends. Right. So it's like the people that work here and write and record music here. You can listen to what we're doing. But then I'd like to also say our friends, meaning you guys, uh, we get to you know within the store listen to who we're working with and who we're meeting because a lot of times people say, hey, I play in this band. We never really get to hear them. So yeah. it's nice to finally hear from some people, and especially if it's instruments that we've spoken about or we got to jam in the store or whatever. I mean, there's been thousands of people in and out of these stores for years that are all musicians of many different kinds. So hopefully it'll be a place that we can kind of compile a sort of history of the people that we get to come in contact with. But also if you're interested and you want to check out the playlist, um, either one of those would be might hear some stuff that you like. Very cool stuff. Well, if you've hung on for this long, again, just a reminder that this is the Fretboard Confessional. We are telling you the deepest, darkest secrets and all of the hopes and dreams that we have as guitar players. Because um, at the end of the day. <laughs> the best guitar player in the world is the one who's honest about his... Uh, his They're <laughs> ugly. His misgivings. Um, no, but definitely tune in, subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't ever checked us out on YouTube and you're finding us through some other means, you can check us out on the our YouTube channel, which is Alamo Music TV. TV. Uh, on, on, <laughs> which we created like five, eight That's years That's arbitrary. Ago. Anyways, um, you check us out there where we review guitars and we talk about all sorts of stuff. And we got Patreon too with like lesson content going on and tabs. and So we're doing a whole bunch of stuff to reach out to you, the guitar community. We hope that you enjoy it. Let us know and keep coming back for more. Mm-hmm.